It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome in to another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Roaring. He is the man who does NKU games on the radio, Musketeer Report, and of course, he's part of our staff here at Local12.com. Successful staff, by the way. We had a big, big year in, in 2019. We did. It's awesome for all of us. Yeah. Well, some of us at some least. Some of us at least, yes, maybe. We'll see how that goes. All right, Rick, we got a lot to get to as always. We start a new decade, I think, although some people debate whether or not that's true. Some people say the decade starts with a zero and ends with a one, but more people think that a decade starts with a zero and ends with a nine. Where do you stand on that for starters? It's very simple. Yes. Do you consider 1989 part of the 80s or the 90s? Consider it part of the 80s, Rick. Okay, then there's your answer Thank you right much. there. All right. Happy New Year, Skinny. The ball dropped on Tuesday night, closing the book on another year and an entire decade. Yes, so it did. On our first episode of the 2020s, I want to know which Cincinnati sports story was the biggest of the 2010s. You want me to go first on this one? You've got one too, right? Oh yeah, I've, yeah. Okay, boy, I'm gonna. You're gonna. I, 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 I got to do it. I've got to do it. The fact of of the emergence of FC Cincinnati. Oh, come on. FC Cincinnati's emergence into not just a professional soccer franchise, but very quickly going into the highest level of soccer in this country, which is MLS. You're a big soccer guy. I'm not. As most most everyone will clearly know, I am not a big soccer guy. Soccer homer Richard Skinner. I I, I think that I've said before, be careful what you wish for, because I don't think this organization knows what it's doing from a wins and loss standpoint, but I really don't care whether they win or lose. I just don't. But from a big story standpoint, Rick, you got to admit, it's pretty quick. I mean, into professional soccer, into um, MLS, into having a new stadium on the horizon. It's pretty big in a decade, yes? Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm shocked that you're the one to bring it up, but I don't think you're wrong, especially when you consider the way that it captivated local media, for one. I mean, it really did have a stronghold on local media. It was covered unlike really anything else. And they were a huge box office success from day one. And then, to their credit, they maintained the the fan support longer than I think I even expected them to. I will say, had they not made the jump to MLS as quickly as they did, I wonder how long this would have continued in terms of the support and everything yes. at a minor league level. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they made that jump that quickly, it really was a huge story and a big deal. Yeah, the only other one I was thinking of was was the name change for U.S. Bank Arena into Heritage Bank Arena. <laughs> I that, figured that, that was number two on your was, list. It was up there. So, uh, to me, and I don't know that it's really necessarily that big of a story. I think in ev- every other city, it wouldn't be a big deal at all. You just kind of move on. It was one game. It was a loss. But for this city... I feel like the Bengals lost to the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs, and everyone knows which one I'm talking about when yeah. I bring that up. That set the tone. It's care. It's lingered. It's really kind of, had they won that game, I think a lot of things would be viewed differently, I not do, just with the I Bengals, but with local sports in general. And that has kind of kept the, woe is us, we're the lowly professional Cincinnati sports franchise uh, thinking going on in this town. Yeah, I, I think that's up there. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's as big of a story as a, as a whole franchise coming in. But, yeah, I mean, the narrative changes for everybody. It changes for Andy Dalton, even though he didn't quarterback that game. Hell, it probably would have changed for A.J. McCarron because he would have led them to the win in that game. Changes for Marvin Lewis. Um, it felt like after that loss, the fact that Marvin came back, and not only came back for a year, but came back for, for multiple years after that, 
it, it 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 really felt like that hung over him and the franchise and the players in that organization. And yeah, they were beset by some injuries over the next couple of years. I still thought the year after they had enough talent to to be a playoff team, and, and injuries got them and kind of got on the year after. And then all of a sudden, you know, the decline really kind of began. Um, yeah, because I I think you know I go back to did Marvin lose control of the franchise after that? Did he lose control in some decision making after that? Right or wrong? Um, the way his players acted after they intercepted a pass and ran off the field, and it looked like you know it looked like kids in a in a in a kindergarten where they let school out and they went running amok, and, and then you know then on top of it you wind up losing the game on on a on a on a freak fumble and then two stupid penalties on two stupid players. So it, I think it did change the narrative in quite a way. There's nothing really Reds related. You know they had some lack of playoff success. I mean I guess you could point to the Matt Latos Grand Slam with Buster Posey, but that uh, wasn't a huge story of the decade. I, I think, the, think I think the two stories for the Reds would be Marty Brennan retiring yes, would be the closest yeah. thing we have yep, to yep. sports story of the decade. Yep. Um, the the next one I would put from the Reds would probably be the All Star All Star game. game. Yeah, no one really and, and the home run and the home and the home run derby. That's what I was gonna say. The yeah. fact that the home run derby thing with Todd Frazier happened made it a meaningful event in the city and certainly one of the most memorable events. Hey, I, look, I, I've covered a lot of things in my lifetime. I've covered a ton of things around here, as you know. From you can name any sporting event. That was still one of the coolest moments I've ever been it, a part of. It really was just I mean, to be in that environment on that given night. I. I, look, I, I was covering it kind of with a kind of a jokish attitude initially of a uh, home run derby. And it was really, really cool. And I think for even a lot of people that covered it that night, it was like, wow, was that we just were here for home run derby and blanks and giggles and that just happened? That I, was pretty unreal. I think that's how you know it was a big event and a fun event is because even two cynical jerk offs like us were yes. like, ooh, yeah. woo, home run derby, right. all star game are yep. like, that was a pretty cool event for this city and, and kind of took the cynicism away at least for one night. Yeah, I agree. In no, this I, town. I absolutely agree. Um, one other one where it's, I think it's sort of similar in that regard where it's like, it's one game. It's hard to say it's the sports story of the decade, but at least in terms of like most memorable moments, I think the Crosstown Shootout Brawl is way up there on my Zip them up! <laughs> well, you have the press conference, you have the video, the Kenny Freeze dripping blood that was all shown on ESPN every day for at least a week. And they changed it from home and home for a few years because of that. You moved our city's biggest rivalry for two years. Yeah, to I a mean, neutral venue. It was a, it was a story that lingered for a long time. And it certainly, I mean, for my career, and I'm biased on this because it was right when I was starting, sure, it was certainly but, the biggest thing yeah, I no, covered I, where I gained like a thousand Twitter followers in one day because of that. It was, to me that sticks out for sure when I look back at the day. Yeah, no, I, that's a good that's a good one to bring up. But I I I think definitively I hate to do it. I'm going the MLS franchise. Man, if you're going that route, are you sure Rose Lavelle wasn't the didn't outdo Pete Rose for she, biggest moment? She might be number two. <laughs> Skinny the Bengals closed the 2019 season with a 33-23 win over Cleveland, as predicted by yourself last week. Andy Dalton completed 16 of 28 passes for 190 yards with a touchdown and an interception in what could have been his final game in Cincinnati. Now begins a big offseason for the Bengals. My question for you is, what offseason decision is the most important, in your opinion? Okay, because you're asking it in one singular question, because I think there's a lot of layers to this. I'm going to answer it this way because you're kind of asking a macro question that deserves a macro answer. It is, will this front office be aggressive in free agency for a change? That, that to me, is the, the, the biggest. Look, we can break it down into what do they do with A.J. Green and what do they do with Andy Dalton and what do they do with paying Joe Mixon? What do they do? It, to me, is what do you do in free agency? I, I, I'm a big believer, no matter what you do with, the, with that first pick in Joe Burrow or whoever it is, and it probably will be Joe Burrow, 
I'm at the stage where I don't think I'm ever going to draft an offensive lineman high again. I just, it just, it's not worth it. You can't, you just can't figure who's going to pan out and who's not. Billy Price wasn't an awful pick. It's not worked out. It's not going to work out. And I think they they may even go move on from Billy after this season. If not, he's going to be a on a rookie contract, a backup guard center for the next couple of years, and then we'll see him go bye bye after his rookie deal. Um, I can, I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for Setabwehi. I don't. I don't blame him for Jake Fisher. I don't. But I think what I do blame them for is letting Andrew Whitworth walk when he was a proven left tackle in this league. I think you, if you're going to do anything in free agency to me, you're going to address your offensive line with veteran free agents who have proven they can play in this league. I'll draft any other position. Offensive line, you just you don't know until they come prove it in the league. So let me see guys prove it. And that, to me, is where they have to be aggressive in this offseason. Go address right tackle. Um, I Look, guard to guard, I think you could survive. And, and you obviously, they think a lot of Trey Hopkins, and he had a good year. And so I feel good about center. I don't know about Jonah Williams yet, but I at least we're going to see. So, I, you know, you got a chance to have your left tackle, right tackle if it's new, your center. And guard to guard, you'll figure out somebody. Michael Jordan looks like he's got upside. I mean, there's a ton of – John Miller actually played okay at guard. He's not great, but he played okay at guard. Um, to me, though, it is how aggressive are you in free agency? They have to attack the market differently as opposed to waiting to the end and kind of picking at the carcass and going, oh, we'll take Carlos Dansby. We'll take A.J. Hawk. We'll take Preston Brown. We'll Preston take the, Brown, We'll, we'll yeah. take these, these, these middle. We'll take Bobby Hart. Although Bobby Hart was actually a pre-free agency signing. He had gotten cut by the Giants the year before, so he was actually on the open market. But stop picking at the carcass. Go identify a guy or two that you want to get. The money that you may have, we're going to use to an extent in AJ Green, and that's where you have to maybe have an organizational philosophy change. I, I get the philosophy was draft your own or draft, retain your own as much as you possibly could. You can't keep them all, but you try to keep your your main core. That's great as long as you're drafting great and you have not drafted great of late. So stop with that and let's try. Let, let's do something different. To me, it's how aggressive are you in free agency? If you're not aggressive enough, you, you're not fixing this roster in a quick enough time frame to get your fan base back. Yeah, no, I, I think your answer is right. I don't agree with you on the not drafting offensive linemen. I would disagree. I think you placed. I said early. Well, I but I, I mean, I still disagree with that. I think you placed the biggest premium on pass blockers, pass rushers, and passers. But there's and so plenty I of guys, not all just three of those positions, not just high, not just Bengals players though. There's there's plenty of guys around the league. I, offensive linemen are impossible to evaluate. But you anymore. can, but impossible. you can, you could say the same thing about quarterback. You could say the same thing I can about say a it lot less. of positions. I'm going to say it less about quarterback because. A lot of these guys that were taken in the first round, whether it's Daniel Jones or Jared Goff or Car- Carson Wentz or even Lamar Jackson, they're all starting to pan out quicker than they've ever panned out. J- J- Josh Allen, nobody, everybody thought Josh Allen was a joke of a pick. I mean, Skinny, but how many other number one quarterbacks can we sit here and rattle off that have been complete flops? I mean, you've also got I, Baker Mayfield. You've also got Jameis Winston. You've Baker's also got Marcus Mariota. Jameis May- Winston's not a flop yet. I mean, okay, but like I think everyone would argue that those guys didn't work out the way you so thought. Cedric was a flop. He couldn't play in the league. Jameis Winston can play. He just needs yeah, some he's polish. Just going to do thirty and thirty. Thirty and thirty. Yeah. yeah. I just to me, I'm not drafting an offensive lineman high ever again. Never, never again. Am I doing? I'm, I'm taking proven guys in the league that are free agents. That's the route I'm going. Well, that, that's off off tangent, anyways. But we we agree on the fact that to me it is. And look, I understand quarterback. The, the, the drafting of Joe Burrow is going to be a huge decision, and if he works out or not is going to have massive, massive yes. impact on the future of the Bengals, Bengals franchise. I'm not trying to downplay that at all because it is going to be a big deal, but that decision is essentially already made. Yeah. So there's not really a lot to be done there. I think the most impactful decision is going to come down to 
what else are you doing aside from the draft? Because we kind of get the draft plan, and I think everyone is mostly on board with, okay, Joe Burrow is unbelievable. Look what he did in the college football playoff, the seven touchdowns in the first half. There's no doubt he is the guy you should be drafting him. I think most people are okay with that. Even someone like myself who felt I'd rather not be drafting a quarterback this year is like, look, at this point you have to draft the guy, right? He looks that good. I understand it. But to me, if you're not going to fill the offense, the holes on the offensive line, fill the holes on defense, mainly at linebacker to me, where I think yes. is this team's biggest hole probably, even more so than the offensive line, I, I don't see how this team gets better, not just this year, but even the next year. And I start worrying about, are you just going to ruin Joe Burrow too? Because if you don't do stuff to help Joe Burrow in the next two off seasons, he's going to be ruined just yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think you're that far away on offense from doing that. I think you are an offensive tackle away from doing that because you do have enough skill guys, even letting A.J. Green walk. Well, I mean, assuming some of these guys on the line pan out the well, way yeah, people are hoping. You need, yeah, we're, we're, I'm assuming you need Jonah Williams, Williams to be a stud. Yes, yes. You need you know guys like... I do, I do think Trey Hopkins looked good this year and them signing him was a good idea, but he still has to prove it over time. Um, some of these other guys that you're saying, he can play, they need him to play better type guys. Okay, we'll see how it all works out. But yeah, I agree with you. I think offensively, they're close if you get a star quarterback and Jonah Williams ends up being a stud at yeah, left tackle. It, exactly, but you have to address it through free agency. And and that, to me, is let's see let's see if you have a philosophical change. If they Their re- defense is pathetic. Listen, if they re-sign A.J. Green for mega money and they, they, they decide to pick at the carcass at the end and get another Preston Brown type to plug a hole at linebacker and really don't do anything on the offensive line, that, to me, shows that you still just don't get it. You just don't get it because you're not— getting A.J. Green back is not going to help block on the offensive line for a young quarterback. It's not going to help in any— way shape or form and there's no question AJ Green helps you win games he would help this but team you can't pay everybody but he doesn't to me he doesn't really change next season's record that much that's whether correct. he's back or not that's correct if you don't address offensive line yeah agree well offensive line and, and linebacker. Me, I think defense is is in shambles like I do not I think, think shambles I, I do I, not think this defense is even remotely good I, I still think that front four is, four is good enough that front four is more than good enough to win games and but, you, but you've the seen linebackers it, in secondary linebackers are, really are not bad well and that's why you're seeing they're they're in the offseason and none of these guys are difference makers in my opinion they signed the kid from Canada who was an all Canadian league player and maybe you get lucky and he just became that good of a player and he transitions they signed a cornerback on waivers from the but they're trying you can see they're trying to trying to very quickly at least put bodies in place at that position yeah, you know and what? I think in the draft they'll probably go there too I I don't think the guy who was attacking the Alouettes last year is going to be the difference maker that the Bengals need at linebacker. I'm know, just man. throwing that out there. No, he was a corner. So he was a corner. Oh, great. He was a corner. He was a, he was an all league corner. I mean, right or wrong. Warren Moon came down from Canada, did okay. There's a lot of Canadian league guys that, that did okay. Paging. Uh, there, there's some all pros that, that, that played in Canada. Paging Kurt Warner. Cameron Wake, I believe, played in Canada. I mean, there's guys that have played in Canada that have done okay. All right, Ohio State season came to an end Saturday night as the Buckeyes lost 29-23 to Clemson in the college football playoff. OSU led 16-0 midway through the second quarter, but the Tigers completed the comeback thanks to big plays, controversial calls, and the Buckeyes' misfortune. Skinny, what was the biggest turning point in the game? The lack of touchdowns in the red zone early, the targeting call on cornerback Sean Wade, or safety Jordan Fuller's fumble recovery that was returned for a touchdown only to be reviewed and ruled an incomplete pass. Look, the easiest thing for Ohio State fans to point to are the calls, and 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 I thought the Jordan Fuller fumble recovery was was a, just a, the worst of the worst. It's insane. I, I mean, yeah. at, at that point, when you and you've pitched before on this very podcast to do away with replay yeah, altogether, I, just, I hate it. That is one play where you might have sold me on it because for them to get the call right on the field to see nothing on replay 
that would suggest they should overturn it and to randomly overturn it, the only thing it can possibly lead to is people believe you're cheating. Yes. No, it's right. The That's only right. Thing That's that right. play can possibly lead. That's to. right. That's right. And understandably so. Look, I, I as a coach, I can occasionally point to calls in games and, and think I got hosed there and it cost my team there. But I also can also look at plenty of times where I called a bad set or we didn't execute something right. I mean, look, you should have been up 28 nothing. You really should have been. At the very worst, I'll give you 24 nothing. You should have been up that. You had a touchdown dropped in the second half. I mean, a lot of this stuff was self-induced by Ohio State, in my opinion. And I think if you'd have had them down more than what is essentially two scores, 16 nothing is probably... It's technically two scores, but it's close enough. But still, it still felt like, for, from, I'm guessing from Clemson's point of, let's get us one score here before the half, and we're, and, we're, and we're right back in this thing. And what do they wind up doing? They got two scores before the half in a three-minute span, and suddenly it's 16-14. And if you're Ohio State, you're thinking, uh-oh, here they come, and, and they know, here we come. We know how to win. They had a chance to put them away early. That's on Ohio State. I totally agree with that. And I would even say... That is the deciding factor in the game when OSU didn't take advantage of their opportunities early. Had Clemson got momentum rolling, kept that momentum rolling, and then kind of steamrolled Ohio State in the second half. But that didn't happen. Ohio State played pretty darn well throughout this entire game. Yes, they missed some opportunities early in the red zone. You can't take that back. But guess what? Great teams miss opportunities sometimes and still find ways to win games. Ohio State did the things they needed to do to win the games. They came up with the big plays. In fact, the defensive play that got overturned that we're talking about, the catch, strip, fumble recovery for a touchdown that then gets overturned with despite there being no evidence and the fact that the call on the field was originally correct, to me, that is the turning point in the game because without that, that, there was no reason for that to be overturned. It was called correctly on the field. It was obvious on on replay. Here's the thing. And it wins the game. Here's the thing. You're passionate about your argument, but here's the thing you could control being up more than 16 to nothing you could control that not the officials and i understand the officials that. Could, you had a chance to control that i get that, that perspective so but skinny i point a, to you on that but in a, this i point to you rick Warren right, on but that this is an ohio state versus cincinnati this is an ohio state versus miami of ohio like jk dobbins should have had a touchdown this is an ohio state versus uh, rutgers I, I agree okay this is ohio state against clemson so i'll tell you a call i'll tell you something that went under the radar in my opinion what was that going for the block punt and roughing the punter uh, that was that was a big mistake. That's on Ohio State. And to me, that... Now, I don't know if that was an automatic, if that was called from the sideline, if players got through and thought, oh, I'm going to get there and block it. That's on them, too. That that was huge. The, the Dobbins drop, that would have been an easy touchdown. Huge. And the, the roughing the punter. So, so we're on were two, two plays that Ohio State could control. Those were two huge mistakes. I agree. But again... No one plays a completely clean game. And had they... Neither do the officials. And, and had they had... Those mistakes, those miscues, or they didn't score in the red zone. And then Clemson kind of steamrolled in the second half. I'd be saying, yeah, okay, they screwed themselves. But Ohio State made up for those mistakes. They kept playing. They were in position to win the game. And the the play that should have won them the game, again, called correctly on the field. We look at the replay from a million different angles. Nothing suggests it should be overturned. And then it gets overturned. What are you supposed to do about that as a football? Like, I don't understand what Ohio State could have done better in that situation. They made the play uh, to make up for their mistakes, and it gets taken away from them through nothing. Uh, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an official that made a mistake. The officials got it right. Then they want to replay, and somehow it gets overturned. I don't understand how that can happen. That's the turning point in the game. Yeah, it is and it is. I mean, I'll go back. Dobbins drop was a turning point. The, the running into the kicker was a turning point. I mean, the, you get the ball. You were on the plus side of the 50 with the lead still. Instead, they marched it. 94 yards after that and scored a touchdown on you. You could have stopped them too. The one thing the one thing I am a little bit surprised about with Ohio State's defense is how do you let Trevor Lawrence run all over you the way he did? How do you let him go 67 yards? I mean, he's a good athlete. He's not he a running is. quarterback. I don't he's think a good he's athlete. an elite athlete. But – 
you got elite athletes on that side of the ball, don't you? And it wasn't one play. Like, he ran right. multiple right. times to, at some point, aren't you going to adjust a little bit? or put Run, someone, sunshine, run! Leave someone around spying on him? I, it was it was shocking to see him carve up their defense I on agree. the ground the way he did. Yeah, you would have not, not been surprised through the air, although Ohio State's secondary is really good. But, again, watching him run 67 yards down the middle of the field is just insane to me. I, I do want to bring up, because I was beating the Chase Young drum um, heavy Leading up to, I, I get it. Leading up to the college football Where was playoff, he? he did not really. I mean, and I didn't think he was terrible in this game. People say, "Oh, he didn't have any sacks," and I did think he got in the backfield and, and made some plays and put some pressure on them. But for a guy that was a game changer, I think will be a game changer in the NFL. I am starting to be concerned. Like, it, do you have more than the speed rush? Because also, no, right, it, it seems to be teams are able to chip him pretty easily with an extra guy or two. And granted, I know double teams, triple teams aren't easy to beat at that level when you're playing good teams like Clemson. But it, it does they didn't seem double like him. they didn't double and triple him a ton, not a ton. And it seems like his kind of thing is I'm going to run past you or I'm not going to get there. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. Uh, I've, I've had conversations with Carl Lawson about this because I thought early in his career and really his first year plus, a lot of it was just speed rush. And I think he understood that and had to kind of counter to it. And you saw him, you know, he had to overcome another injury this year, start to get it. And I don't think Carl Lawson's in Chase Young's category as a pass rusher. But if you're one-dimensional as a pass rusher, they're going to get you. What they're going to do is, if that's all he's got in the NFL, those tackles are just going to take him, shove him behind the play, and go, hey, I'm taking you out of the play because you're, you're, you're coming around the edge. Great. Come around the edge, and I'll just shove you behind it. My quarterback will step up, and you'll never get there in time. Chief. And I think most college teams needed an extra guy to kind of help facilitate that pushing and pass the You don't pocket, need that in the NFL a lot of times. in the NFL, times. they might not. I still think he's going to be a I really good pro. I think I he do is too. special. But I think some of the criticism tell you is what, warranted. You know what's funny? The more I watch him play on that Ohio State defense, I think I'd take Jeff Okuda before I'd take Chase Young. Jeff Okuda's really good. He could help a lot of NFL teams in the secondary. I mean, obviously, Bengals are going to be drafting a cornerback that high. No, but and he declared for the NFL draft. What if the Bengals trade back to the fifth pick? That's not going to happen. Mark this down. What time was this on, on this day, on January 2nd? 9.28 Bang, a.m. Bengals trade down, get Jeff Okuda, and go for Trevor Lawrence next year. There you go. I don't hate that idea. I know you don't. Andy Dalton's got one more year on his deal. Game on. 5-11. and 11. Here we come. Good Lord. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears. All the local basketball teams open up conference play this week. I like it. Kentucky is the only team yet to play. The Wildcats will host Missouri on Saturday. NKU beat Milwaukee 74-64 and lost Green Bay 73-59 earlier in the week. Xavier lost its opener on Monday to Villanova 68-62. And Cincinnati blasted UConn 67-51 at Fifth Third Arena Wednesday night. Good win. Skinny, let's, we're going to go through all of these teams, sure. kind of a little over-under type game I like here. These. I like over-unders. Is NKU more likely to win more than 12 games or fewer than 12 games in the Horizon League? I'm still going more despite the disappointing home loss to Green Bay because I think Green Bay at, at the best in that league is a 500 team. Maybe slightly just, above it. I think they're better than that. I think they're the third best team in the conference. Okay. If they're the third best team in the conference, then NKU is definitely winning more than 12 games because Detroit stinks, uh, IUPUI stinks, um, Milwaukee stinks. Yeah, I think Oakland and, and UIC are the only other two teams that, that may, in my and, opinion, and, and are right, decent. In right state. Well, in right state's in, obviously. In right state, yeah. Right, right state's obviously right there with yeah. NKU as the best in the conference. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going more. I'll go. I still think this is a team that goes at worst 13 and 5. 12 and 6 just feels like it's. That would be probably three home losses, and I just don't see them losing more than another game at home. Maybe one more. 
Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, they're going through this transition. Tate's getting back into the lineup, but the yeah. fact that they have him back is going to really help them avoid some of these slip ups. And I you think. did the game. I listen. He, he, I'm, I'm guessing he was rusty. I'm sure he had great bat, great you know spurts, but I'm sure there was a ton of rust on him too. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, he played well. He definitely helped overall. He was their leading scorer, in fact. But you, could, especially early when he first got in, you could see he's just a little bit all over the place and, trying to. And, and let's go back to the, the, the whole, that, that Tyler Sharp run of three straight. Was it three straight or four straight? 30, three straight. Three straight yeah. thirty point games. That's not sustainable. It's just he's not going to get you thirty every night. In fact, there are going to be nights like he had the other night where he either doesn't shoot it well, or they figure out a way to not let him shoot it well or get off shots, and he's going to get held to six or nine points. And that's where getting Jalen Tate back I think is huge at some point you mentioned it may it may not be till February you get Dantez Walton back when I think when this team is at honestly this team is at full strength I don't think there's a team in the league better no matter where you play I agree with that and I think you know people are looking at it and saying well yeah but you have Tyler Sharp healthy and now you got Jalen Tate back and everything it's like okay yes but before the season if we told you hey there's not gonna be any more Drew McDonald anymore Chris Vote also left right this Chris is Vogt's what they got great. to deal with or was anyone going to say, oh, yeah, they'll be fine if they lose Dantez Walton, too? Or they'll be fine if they lose yeah. Jalen Tate and Dantez Walton, too? I mean, people are upset about the loss to Green both. Bay. Yeah. No, I think the, lo- the, the loss to Green Bay is disappointing only because they, f- they they did find a way against Milwaukee. Green Bay didn't exactly come in with a stellar record. You're still better than them. Sure. You're, st- you're better than them. And You'd I, agree with that, especially I, at home. I get You that. see the margin. The margin looks ugly, too, and sometimes that happens. But I think the, the whole thing is Jalen Tate just – he's not the Jalen Tate you're going to see in a week. Two weeks, a month. Well, I also think they probably didn't get enough credit for surviving and playing as well as they were when those guys were down. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you're playing without two of your top yeah, players maybe. on a team that was really trying to figure things out coming into the year. I'm with you, though. I'll go. They're more than they're more likely to win more than 12 games, but I do think there are still some slip-ups along the way here that fans are going to shake their head at and be frustrated about along the way. But again, it's it's all for one week at the end of the season. It, it is. And that's the thing. Week. Make sure you, you, you've you got everybody healthy and you start to play your best basketball leading into that week. And, the, and, and obviously, look, if we're talking about this team around the 12-win line, at the very worst, at the very worst, even let's say it's 11 wins, at the very worst, there are three or four seed in the conference tournament. Correct. At the very worst. So you're still in a good spot. Yep. All right, Skinny, is Cincinnati more likely to win more than 11 games or fewer than 11 games in the American Athletic Conference? I'm going to go more, and maybe maybe the UConn win um, taints me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, understandably so. They I thought they good. played really well. I thought they, uh, you know, they still, I don't think, are quite there offensively, but, man, they locked UConn up. I thought they moved the ball enough on offense. They, they shared it. I think the last couple of wins that they've had in the, in the, uh, the, the Tennessee win before the, the Iowa game, I think they've done a pretty good job of sharing the basketball. Um, a lot of different guys scoring points from a lot of different areas. And, and that's I, the hallmark of John Brandon's yeah, offense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what he did at NKU. That went from like 300th in assist percentage to like 150th yeah. to 50th to top 10 in the country his final year. Yeah, I, I would say this. I, I think you see, um, obviously they play 18 conference games. They don't play everybody home and home, but they do play 18. So that's nine home games. They're eight and one at home at the worst. In my opinion, at the worst, you're probably right. I mean, who, uh, Memphis can beat them at home. Maybe Houston, maybe SMU, maybe. But I, think I mean, those re- are big. I think, maybe. A, I think it's a reach. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going to beat them. Yeah, at that's home. what I'm saying. So I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to give you an eight and one home record. And if you're telling me more than eleven, can this team win four games on a road in that league? Yeah, because there's enough slop competition that you can go win four games. I think this team goes thirteen and five in the league. Maybe even fourteen and four. Maybe, maybe Wednesday night tainted me a little bit and swayed me a little bit. I was just really impressed. Coming off Iowa, where there were some good stretches of basketball against Iowa, there just weren't enough stops down the stretch, and maybe the, the whatever time you had to work on some stuff and practice some stuff and get 
get Jaron Cumberland a little bit better condition and shape, maybe that's all all it took for this team to start to turn the corner. I was I was really impressed with what they did Wednesday night. I think body language and stuff like that matters. And this team a couple weeks ago looked like a team that was folding, yes. that didn't want didn't have fight in them, and now all of a sudden they look like a confident group that feels like they're playing together and and they're on the same page. Jaron Cumberland looks like a different human, or at least looked like a different human being Wednesday night than he has for most of the season to this point. Um, and he, he hasn't been exceptional yet in no, terms right. of the way he's played, but just the way he's interacting on the floor with his teammates, totally different guy. I'm, I'm with you. I've, I was kind of influenced by what I saw in Wednesday night's game. I'm going to say they're more likely to, to win more than 11 games. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the conference, but I do think this team is, is starting to turn the corner now. There are some slip-ups that are still along the way, I think, for them because I don't think they're great. But they have a really good chance. We talked about this on our basketball podcast on Sunday with Chad Brendel. They got a great shot to start 4-0 in the league. I mean, it, it sets up very nicely. And you get to 4-0 and feeling confident and the ball starts rolling a little bit, man, that can go a long, long way. I think you're right. All right, so is Xavier more likely to win more than 10 games or fewer than 10 games in the Big East Conference? I'm leaning towards neither. I'm leaning towards 10. Right on 10, <laughs> right on the dot. Um, That's why these numbers were... I know, yeah. Um, I'll go. I'll go more. I, the the Nova game that was kind of the microcosm of what this team is, right? They got they got some quality stops. I mean, they they did enough on the defensive end, in my opinion, to win the game. They just don't they don't shoot it. And well, the, I, the thing is, there's just not a lot of Novas in the league. And, and look, the league's pretty. I, I got a chance to watch a, a couple of league games on 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 uh, New Year's night and uh, thought Creighton actually looked really good. And I thought going in the year, Creighton was, was dreadful when they've played really, really well. You don't um, want to play Creighton at Creighton. No. I, yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think for Xavier, can you get me 7-2 at home? Do you feel good about 7-2 at home? I don't know that I feel good about anything in this conference. I think they can get there. Uh, you give me 7-2 at home. I'm asking for 4. I'm going over. I'm going to go 11-7. and seven. I, think I, I think on the podcast the other night I said 12-6. and six. I'm going to have to... Probably recalculate that because I just I don't know where you go for road wins in this league and feel good about any of it, any of it. I, I think they're more likely to finish 500 in this conference than they are to finish two games above 500. So I think I you, you're going fewer. I think I would go fewer really? than 10. I'll I, go 11. No, again, I'm, I stick, think 10, I'm sticking with 11 and 7. I think 10, it's what I predicted before the season. It's what I predict right now, even after the Villanova loss. 10 is the number. But if you're going to say, are they more likely to go over or under? Right. I'm going to say under because I think it, it, it's just too easy to lose games in this Big East Conference. They could lose every game on the road, and that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I, no, I, there's, there's, there's no layup game. There really isn't. Providence was the worst non-conference team record-wise, and the next worst was Seton Hall. Do you want to go play those two teams on the road? Not right now. You feel good about it? Especially not Providence right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you feel good about any of it at, at, at right now, so... I'm going to go 11 and seven. I, I do. I, I like the parts of this team. The, the Nova game didn't discourage me. I mean, you got hit with the early 17-0 run, and that should put you away on the road against Nova. And they still kind of fought their way. I don't know. Back in it's the word, but at least they back were back to a competitive. In yeah, standpoint. Yeah. But but with the Xavier team, like uh, this is the column I wrote. They lost that game because they're six points worse than Nova. Like yes, that, 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 they're, they're funny. You know what the spread was? The spread was five and a half. Five and a half to six. Yeah, it was almost right. dead on. Right. They they caught. They nailed it. I had them losing by eight. The spread was five and a half. Ken Palm had them by five or six. Like, and the reason why is because. Xavier has a tendency to not make a shot for five minutes and get themselves in a 17-0 hole. And because their veterans have a tendency to make big mistakes when you're trying to make a comeback. And because their defense, while pretty darn good most of the time, isn't quite elite. 
at all yeah, times no. because they don't focus enough. So, I mean, th- that loss was like a textbook no, Xavier loss no, for this. It's group. so funny. I, I actually had a game I had to coach that night and, and had DVR'd it, but I, when I got in the car, I looked at my phone and saw the score, and I went, oh, okay, that, that, that seems right. Called a couple of buddies to kind of pick, pick out what kind of happened, what parts I need to watch, and when they told me the 17-0 run, I thought, well, then darn, they actually did pretty well. But like I said, Played when right I first saw the them, score, yeah. I looked, I went, yeah, that's about right, 68-62, sure, I get it. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, uh, it just felt so much like a, a typical loss for this Xavier yeah, team right now. Yeah. All right, Skinny, is Kentucky more likely to win more than 11 games or fewer than 11 games in in the SEC? I think you said that number small. Kind I, of. I think you had to drop it by a game with this UK team. I think 12 I'm going would have way, been the number. I'm going way over. Because I, I think because the, the SEC. Ter- I think yeah. the league's terrible. I, 14 and 4 seems right for this, this team. I, I don't think they're great. I don't think they have a deep march run in them. I just don't. The Louisville game didn't sway me a ton. It was at least a nice win that they needed to get in the non-league to, to eventually help the seed line when it all... I mean, that, that was... When you look back, that's going to be a huge seed line win. And if they somehow steal a win at Texas Tech on top of it in the, in the uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge... In late January, that would that would solidify it even more. But I, I just I think in this league, I no, nothing even come remotely scares me in this league. If I'm Kentucky, could you go to Georgia and the Edwards kid go off for 42 on a night? Sure, he could. I mean, could you go? Could you go? I don't even know if they play Auburn at Auburn. I mean, there's a couple of places I don't know if I want to play. Sure, certainly they they're home and home with Florida, and yeah, they could lose at Florida. I just don't see them losing. I don't see them losing more than a game, if any games that Rupp against these SEC teams. I just don't think it's a very good league this year. I, I agree with you, and I would say the league is going fourteen and four. The league isn't as good this year as it was in twenty eighteen. But you remember the twenty eighteen was Shy Gilgis Alexander, Kevin Knox, PJ Washington, that group. Um, that went to the Sweet 16 and lost to Kansas State, correct? You yes, remember that yes, yes, I do. Do you remember what their record was in SEC play? Oh, I'll say 12-6, and six, maybe 11-7. and seven. They were 10-8. and eight. Really, really? Okay. So, I mean, if that group can get to eight losses, this group isn't as good as that group. At least not the way they're playing right now. No, but that was an SEC that was on the rise. That was, was one year before the last year. And last year, we we you know we, we kind of felt even going into last year, boy, the SEC is back. It was for that year, and it was. Noted. Tennessee was great. Auburn was great. LSU was great. Florida was really good. Kentucky, obviously, was really good. I mean, there, the SEC last year was really, really good. I agree. But I'm saying, if you put this group kind of on a similar trajectory to that 2018 group that end up with you know, 10 and 8 in conference play, you don't think this group could go 12 and 6? All right, here's the road games in the league because obviously they don't play uh, everyone. It's not round robin. Yeah, yeah, which I, again, I love, I love round robin. I, just, I do too. It's, it's, it's perfect. My, it's my favorite. It's the most I, even I, way I think, to do I think it. it's awesome. All right, at George is their first road game. That's probably a 65 35 percentage for Kentucky, but George has got a dude who can go off for 40. Probably, but I think you would agree that with this UK team, they could lose to almost anyone and it wouldn't surprise you right At now. South Carolina and they've been trashed. They're just they're they're horrible. They all are. the stats and Evansville is garbage. Great. They do play their next uh, road game actually at, at Texas Tech, but we're looking at the league first. At Auburn, that's certainly losable, so I'll give you that one. At Tennessee, they can't score out of the 40s, so I don't trust them. At Vandy, they're trash. At LSU, I think they're better, but yeah, LSU could get them. A&M on the road, that's not overly difficult. And at Florida, their road games in the league aren't really overly difficult this year. No, but you could lose two of those. Well, I'm even going to go, I could, I could lose three or three of those and go win, win all but one game at home. There's 14 and four, right? It could, yeah. I'm going 14 and four. I'm sticking with it. And you know me, I, I still don't think highly of this Kentucky team. I'm going to say their league is garbage. They're more likely to win more than 11 games, but I don't think it's it would not stun me if this team ended up 11 and 7 or 10 and 8. I think they're ab- I think they're above your 11 win threshold before before I'll go 
after the Ole Miss home game on Saturday, February 15th, they will already have their 11th SEC That's win. fine. I'm not betting you on this. I'm not like on the other side of this conversation. I actually agree with you, but I'm just saying like I don't think it's outlandish to think that this UK team could lose a few more games than they typically do in conference play. Okay. Again, if you go back to two years ago, they went 10-8. and eight. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, when I saw that number, that's what like made me kind of go, well, I could see this team get into that range too, even in a, a down SEC. All right, let's switch gears, Skinny. The Reds signed Japanese outfielder Shogo Akiyama. Very well done. That sounds right to me. Nailed it. To a three-year contract earlier this week, Akiyama, 31, has played nine seasons in the Japan Pacific League. He has a career 301, 376, 454 slash line, along with 116 home runs, 513 RBIs, and 112 stolen bases in his career. He has finished each of the past five seasons with an OPS north of 800. Skinny, what do you make of the Reds' newest addition? I like it because I, it, 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 I don't think it's overly um, – the, the money isn't hugely negative. Um, Three I think, years, $20 million. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good in my opinion. Uh, the, the, the numbers that stand out to me well, – the number that stands out to me is the 376 on base percentage. I think that sometimes – I think that does translate to here. I don't want to call him Ichiro because that's not fair. Ichiro was was an all time great, all time great, and everybody I think knew that even when he made the transition from Japan to to over here, um, and he proved it. Although Ichiro really, it's funny, Ichiro was not a great on base percentage guy. Ichiro was was a great hitter, hitter yeah, yeah, and he was a, his, his his on base percentage isn't a whole lot higher than his batting average. So this guy gets on base, he's got a little bit of pop. This guy him. takes walks. Yeah, well, you give me this cat at the top of the lineup. Um, you get Senzel back, and you get those two guys towards the top of the lineup, or, or it gives you even maybe a chance to get Senzel in that six-seven spot in the order. Where you know, I I just don't ever know if he's going to be more than a two-seventy-five type hitter, but he's going to going to I think he's going to be a gap hitter. He's going to be a doubles guy. He's going to get you fifteen to twenty homers. He's going to take a walk when you need him to take a walk. I don't think he's a pure leadoff guy. I think on last year's team when Winker went out. That was almost by default. Senzel had to hit leadoff. And right. Did a pretty it good job. Okay, yeah. I think this guy's a legit leadoff hitter, man. I, I love. At I think it's that's great the theory, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's so. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about some dude who's been tearing up the Japanese. No, I'm just. I'm going to go with the slash line, and I think it, it, again, it, it shows me that, that the guy's got something. Yeah, it's hard to figure out how it translates. Now, reading the scouting reports, looking at some of the video that you know the highlight tapes that they've put out there on him. A couple things that look awesome is he is ridiculously fast. Like, he has legit speed, which at the top of the lineup. And also, the one thing I'm interested in is a lot of people are talking about, well, he's probably going to play a corner spot because the Reds have Senzel. But Senzel came up as a middle infielder. Right. The Reds haven't solidified the middle of their infield exactly yet. I mean, they have guys in place yeah, to, play to play those positions, to play second. You got Gallus to play short. But, but you're not stuck to those guys or married it, to those it, guys. I think what it does, though, it gives you that... that that ability to move guys around on a day-to-day basis. Well, what's to say Senzel can't play second one day, third another day, and center field or left field another? If you can play center field, you can play left field. So he can play a corner spot if need be. And what's to say this guy isn't going to play center field if he's faster and yes. known for his glove? Yeah. Like, I think the one of the upsides of getting this guy is could be that he could be the defensive center fielder they've been looking for. Yeah, and, and you can move Senzel to a corner spot. There's nothing to say if you can play center, you should be able to play a corner spot. Yes. Um, I... You know, we'll see how the bat works out. They need a bat. This guy doesn't seem like a surefire thing as a slugger. I mean, he's not a I don't a need slugger. that. I need a leadoff guy. Right, but you also need a bat as well. Um, I, 
I, I know I'm taking the leap of faith. If Aquino is going to be a 35 home run guy, which I think he has the potential to be, I also think he has the potential to be a bust. Yeah. But you also now have, you've got a backup plan for the bust, right? You could move this guy to the corner spot with Senzel in center and the Winker Irvin platoon. In left. I mean, you've to their credit, they've given themselves a lot of outs. I think now your next step is find a defensive shortstop that maybe can be a late inning guy. Maybe you have that already in Blandino and you're just going to roll the dice with it. And maybe they do have one more move up their sleeve um, that they're looking for. Maybe this move is one that maybe it packages Senzel for, for a Lindor. I don't know if I do it, but it'd be interesting. I don't know if I wouldn't either. I think what it does though, is gives you a lot of flexibility and I'm all for that. I think it's a great thing. Well, and I, I like the fact Give that me the problems of right now. We're trying to fit pieces into place, right? Right. As opposed to going, who's really going to play for that there. Spot. I need a piece for there. I need a piece for there. No, I yeah. think they've done a good job. Well, and I like the fact that they're getting creative here. Look, I mean, you know, they missed on some free agents. There's not a ton left out there for them to go get. This is a guy with some upside, at least. I mean, he's, he's proven it at some level and he's still got some upside as a, a major league prospect. And it wasn't like they found this guy under a rock. There were other teams that were bidding for his services too. Right. And, and I mean, he's a 31 year old guy. So it's not like he's a rookie that's going to have to figure everything out. It's all going to be new to him in the major leagues. But in terms of just being a mature adult, yeah. he's already there at the age of 31. In fact, you know, he could be heading towards the downside of his career and it's possible during this contract, but you got him for three I, years. I, I don't it seems feel perfect. It. Yeah. And again, the money wasn't exorbitant. I, I think it's, I think it's really, I think based on that and the, where, the, where the rotation stands, I, I like it. And, I, I do. I think they do have one more move in them, and I think it's something along the lines of getting that middle infielder that's going to help. Man, I think it'd be nice to get someone with a proven bat. Just he doesn't. He doesn't have to be a stud. But well, Lindor's that guy. Well, yeah, that would be a really nice get, obviously. All right, Skinny, let's go to our betting picks. What do you got? All right, last week in football, I went 5-5. Five and five. It leaves me still swimming upstream, 112-116-1, but I made up ground on you, although I'm running out of time. You went 4-6, and six and you're 122-106-1, so you're still showing a profit of about 10 units, which is pretty good depending on what you bet on the units. If you bet a dollar, you're up $10. If you bet $10, you're up 100 If you bet $100 on Rick, you're up $1,000. We'll take it. If you bet $1,000 on Rick, you're up ten grand. This is like Sesame Street for uh, gamblers. Yes, it is. For degenerates. All right, Skinny. College football bowl games Thursday at 3 p.m. Boston College against Cincinnati. The Bearcats are 7.5-point favorites. The total is 55.5. Boston College has one legitimate offensive threat, Corey Dillon's son, A.J., who's a running back. And guess what A.J. Dillon's not doing in this game? He's playing not playing in, in this game. I think you That see... being said, everyone said the same thing about Georgia, and I bet on them, and it paid off. Yeah, well, Georgia has other dudes. Boston yeah, College do. has no other dudes. They That's got true. nothing else. Um, their coach is gone. I mean, there's all that. I, I'm going. I'm going. UC wins this one as much as they want. Uh, Thirty-one, ten Bearcats. So UC in the under. I think they kill them. I think you always like coaches in these games too, right? Like PJ Fleck was a good coach yes. to take in a bowl game because of yes. Thank you, who Auburn. They by are. the way, for costing me a parlay on the money line. Thank you a lot, Auburn, and what they're about. I'm definitely going to go with uh, Luke Fickle and the Bearcats in this one. I think they cover that number pretty easily. UC thirty-five, Boston College twenty-four. So that's UC and the over taking us to Monday night at 7:30. Oh, what a Monday night football game this is. The country is going to be riveted to this. The Miami of Ohio fighting Jets. Love and honor. Love and honor. We'll take on Louisiana Lafayette. Louisiana Lafayette is 14 point favorites. 56 is the total. Oh, the fighting Chuck Martins. They they I I'm always on the wrong side of them, but I'm going to go with some love and honor. I'm going to go Lafayette in a in a nail biter 27 23. 
three. So I'm going to go Lafayette and the under here. Well, that's Miami and the under, right? Miami to cover? Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Miami to cover in the under. <laughs> yeah, but I got Lafayette to win the game outright. Gotcha. I'm going to go Lafayette 38, Miami 21. So that's Lafayette. You just hate him. To you just hate him so he hates them, Joe. Yeah, he I'm, hates them. I'm really just going back to the. This is just back to pure hatred. I know you nothing. have no other. You have no other logical explanation other I know than just pure hatred about the Raging Cajuns. But I know that. See, Jed you know their Demusi, nickname. You know their nickname. I know that Jed Demusi went to Miami. And you know me, I, I, I'm I'm usually a fairly encyclopedic knowledge of, of, of teams and players and things. You got nothing on the Raging Cajuns. I, I, I got no nothing. one watched them this year, not even people that went to Louisiana. I, I did Lafayette. watch a couple snaps of them, but I, I couldn't name You're you one player of them. I could not. I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm going with the fighting Chuck Martins to hang around. It's what they do. Love and honor Miami. You know what? I'm going Miami 27-23. Oh, Miami outright. Straight up. Straight so up. taking the money line. Now you have to bet that in real life, too. I will. I will. Right. I, I will. We're on to the NFL. We're on to the NFL. Saturday at 435, we got the Bills in Houston playing the Texans. Texans are two and a half point favorites. 43 and a half is the total. The Bills have done some good things on the road this year. They have. Um, their defense is obviously really, really good. Texans have been up and down, but I think they got a chance to rest the key guys they needed to rest. They get JJ Watt back. No matter what percentage that is, it's going to be helpful. Um, and I just don't think by I, I think it's hard. You, you, Buffalo was in the playoffs a couple of years ago, but that was almost feels like a completely different group because they they you're talking about a team that kind of overhauled quickly. They overhauled a lot. Went to Josh Allen, um, you know, let some key. I mean, Cordy Glenn was a starter on that team, and Preston Brown was a starter on that team. So it's a it's a different club. I just think it's a big ass first time through. Houston's been in the playoffs before with this group. Bill O'Brien's been in the playoffs. I, I just think Houston getting that rest was key. I'll go Houston 24-17 to win it. Buffalo's offense just isn't good enough. You know, now that you bring it up, I will say the Bengals' strategy of trying to become the 2017 Bills probably wasn't the best <laughs> not, idea. Not, no, it was not. I will go with the Bills 24, Texans 21. I'm calling it skinny. The Bills right. are going to pull the upset straight up. I like the Bills and the over. In that All right, and I got Houston and the under, so we're completely opposite. All right, Saturday, 8-15. Titans are taking on the Patriots. It's over for the Patriots. Dynasty is done. Tom Brady sucks. Bill Belichick is, can't coach anymore. Patriots are four-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 44. What do you say? I'm buying into everything you just said. No way. I am because the Miami game to me was the one that usually, if the, when they're teetering, they take that Miami game last week and they just, they, they it's 31 nothing at the half and they finish the deal 45-7 and everything feels right with them. They were all out to win last week. They were all out to win because of seeding. The, the reason they're playing this game is because they lost that game to Miami. Um it felt like last week the back was against the wall. It feels like their backs have been against the wall for a while, and really the only game that they kind of have pulled out since then was the the fact that Bengals gave them five turnovers and they came. Honestly, the Bengals weren't completely outplayed that game. I mean, New England only had what two hundred and something yards of offense. The Bengals actually, yeah, the Bengals outplayed themselves in that. They game. did. I mean, yeah. you're not giving five turnovers to anybody, let alone that team, and, and, and win the game. So. I think everything you just said is true. I, I think it's done, and I know I'm going to be probably saying that come Super Bowl, whatever number this is, and they'll be in it, and I'll be playing against them. I'm going with the Titans outright. They run the football well enough. I just don't think New England has enough weapons anymore on offense. I'm going 27-21 Titans, yes, to win by almost a full touchdown. It is so cute watching you fools do this I know that. after I know year it. with the Patriots. I know it. There is no way I'm picking the Titans over the Patriots. Who is the Titans quarterback right now, Skinny? That'd be Ryan Tannehill. Exactly. But who's right. their running back right now? Derrick Henry, who nobody stops. Oh, Nobody stops. We'll see about that. We, we might need to put a, uh, a little side wager on this with a 12-pack. A I've got you the know Patriots. what? We're going to do it right now. 12-pack. Right. 
12 fact. Patriots 31, Titans 14. Now, are you giving me the points? No. Just straight you up. You took them straight up. All We're right. going straight up on that. So you're going to England 31 14? Patriots 31, Titans 14, Patriots and Well, if you're that confident, then give me the four to hook. No, I'm not giving you any points. Yeah, you I took w- them straight up. I Straight up, I get a case. I'm, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. I'll do a case for a 12 pack. Okay. All right. Case yeah. for 12 pack. I'm that's that's fair. That. All right. Case for 12 pack. All, All right. right. Sunday at 105, we got Vikings at the Saints. Saints are seven and a half point favorites. The total is 49 and a half. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this one. This is the most interesting game on the board, in my opinion. Kirk Cousins, man. Can you trust that cat in any way, shape, or form? No, but this Vikings team is weirdly good, and they show up. They, they've surprised me multiple times this season. They have, but I, I think New Orleans is ready to roll. They, the, the loss to Atlanta might have been exactly what they needed to kind of get refocused and re-energized. And some of that was, honestly, you watch what Atlanta did down the stretch. I think that said a little bit about Atlanta, too. They kind of got healthy and started playing better. I, I think New Orleans names their number here. New Orleans wow. 31-17, so it barely stays under. I'll go. Now, you know what? I'm going to go 34-17, New Orleans. I'm going to take the Saints in the over. Wow, all right. I do not have as much confidence. I'm actually going to pick Minnesota to cover the spread, but I think Saints end up winning the game. I'm going to go 21-17 New Orleans. 21? You think Drew Brees at home is getting 21? You think Drew Brees at home is getting 21 points? That's what I just said, yes. I I know you did. You think Drew Brees at home is getting 21 points. They'll have 21 by the half. Oh, you could be right. By the half. You could be right. I, this Vikings team is weird, man. They, they It is weird. Games. They hang around. I know they do, and I'll give them credit for that. They're going to do it with defense. They're not going to outscore the Saints. I, I, they're going to have to. That's well, the problem. They're, they're going to have to. They're not going to win that game. All right, so you got Vikings in the under. All right, you got way under, too. All right, there we go. Yeah, it's not that far under. It's 38, 38. yeah, it's, a, it's double digits. It's okay. pretty, pretty big. You, you feel pretty good about the under there. All right. Sunday, 440, Seahawks at Philadelphia playing the Eagles. Seahawks are one-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 45-and-a-half. Seattle has had a lot of thing, things masked by Russell Wilson this year, right? And, they have. And, and, and all those really things. Good. And I know we can look and go, they've lost their last two, and, boy, they lost them at home, and now they're on the road for the playoffs, and how in the world can they be favored? I think they've won their last, I think it's double digits. They've won their last 10-plus, I think, going to the Eastern time zone. For whatever reason, they know how to do that. I don't know why or how or if it's a fluke or if it's just coincidence, but it's multiple games in a row. Look, the Eagles, to their credit, they found a way to get the playoffs, but they're still talent deficient, especially here. Uh, I think Seattle goes on the road. They get the road. I'll go 27-17 Seattle. Eh, it's probably too big of a spread. I'll go 24-17 Seattle. Um, wins it and it stays stays under. I just don't think Philly's got enough weapons to win this. Yeah, this is a tough one to call because I agree that Seattle is the more talented team. I'd feel much better about betting on Russell Wilson um, than otherwise, but Seahawks are banged up, man. They have a they lot are. of dudes injured right now. Some of them are not going to be back for this game. Others are going to be compromised. Is Russell this Wilson game. back for this game? Russell Wilson is not one of those guys who was injured, so he will be fine. But I'm going Eagles. I'm going to say Philadelphia 24, Seattle 21, Eagles in the under for me. Fly, Eagle, fly. All right. College basketball, Skinny, you got our records? Yep, I'm 500 last week, 3-3, three and three, but it leaves me a very positive 37-22-1. You were 3-3, three and three, and you're still over 500. 32-27-1 is your record, so I got a five-game lead. All right, we'll start. Fr- we got a long way to go. We got three months of this to go. Yes, we do. We start Friday night, 7 p.m., NKU is at Detroit. The Norse are favored by six. The total is 142. The fight is it this is where Brad Calipari is, correct? It is. I'm yeah. worried about Brad Calipari. I'm sure you are. What's, what's he averaging? About 10? 
What? Well, he's shooting 50% from three. I know. He's, he's, he's been okay. But that tells me all I need to know, that Brad Calipari's in the rotation for Detroit. Um, I think another handful of practices and getting a game under his belt helps Jalen Tate. I think that helps his team. Six is a big number on the road when you've had a hard time scoring like NKU has. I think the Norse, though, go take care of business. I think the 142 total is pretty high, although Detroit's not great defensively. I'll go NKU 71-62, so the Norse and the under. All right, so you got him to cover, but you do have the under. I just can't take the under as a better and what in any game Detroit's playing because they I know. refuse to I, play any defense. Right, I know. And and they'll just shoot and shoot and shoot. I just don't know if NKU's dynamic enough right now offensively, and despite I, that. And you're not wrong about that, but Detroit may not care. They may just let them have as many as they want. I'm going to say NKU 78, Detroit 68, so the Norse cover and it hits the over. Okay, so the only thing we differ on is the over. We basically have the spread the same. Yep, Saturday, 2 p.m., Missouri at Kentucky. The Wildcats are eight-point favorites. The total is a measly 128. Um, yeah, Missouri doesn't. They, they try to grind you out. It's the Quanzo Martin style of play, yes, right? Yes, they do. Um, and I think because of that, that means they're going on the road. They're not going to score enough on the road anyway. I think this Kentucky team has shown it can get stops. It did that against Louisville. I thought some of Louisville's issues were Louisville-related, as we talked about on the yeah, but Kentucky's podcast defense Sunday. Is good. Yeah, I'll go Kentucky in this one, 69-54. I think the Wildcats get off to, the, to a good start in conference play. They get the confidence from that Louisville game um, and just lock Missouri up. So I'll go Kentucky and the under. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Kentucky's offense has, uh, has stepped up a little bit now. The offense rated 25th in efficiency by Ken Palm, the defense 24th. So both of those numbers have those come are back good down. Metri- those are pretty good metrics, though. It's for, what you for need it. to do. Right. We've, we talk about that all the time. Being top 25 in both yep. is usually yep. what you need. The defense was closer to top 10, and the offense was closer to top 40 a few games ago. Uh, I like Kentucky in this one to cover, um, and I don't think it hits that over, even though it's only one. Yeah, I don't either. I got 123 as my total. I'm going to say UK 65, Missouri 55, so that's UK and the under. Yep. All right, Saturday at 4 p.m., we've got Cincinnati at Tulane. The Bearcats are favored by nine in this one. The total is 141. The fighting Ron Hunters. We all love Ron Hunter, we right? Love Ron Hunter. We love Ron Hunter. Because he's not coaching our team. <laughs> I like Ron Hunter. I think Ron's done, Ron's done a good job. Ron's doing a pretty good job at no, Tulane. He's done a good job. I'll, I, you know, I think UC goes on the road and wins it, but I, I can't trust that big of a number yet. I need, to, I need to see UC perform on the road before I can trust them laying anywhere close to double digits. I think UC wins this one. I'll go Bearcats 71-65. to 65. So you, or, uh, Tulane covers and it stays under again. I'm drinking the red Kool-Aid skinny. I'm going Bearcats 77, Tulane 66. Ooh. I'm just, I'm confident after the UConn game. Well, you won't I'm be confident. With that, with, with, you're, you're teetering right on the, we, we, we both, we're a three-point shot away on either side of this line of, of, of covering one way or the other. But saying they're going to cover nine on the road. I mean, I know, two I, weeks I, ago, I never would have, have never done it against anyone. Nah, I ne- never would have done it. You're you right. see in the over in that one. Yep. And that brings us to Sunday at 4.30, St. John's at Xavier. The Musketeers are favored by nine, the total 143. Yep. Um, St. John's just lost at home, right? To Butler, am I right? 60-58? Yeah, I believe that's yeah. correct. So... This is not the St. John's of, of Chris Mullen where they didn't defend at all. They shows me they, they defend better than they have. But they also don't score the way they, they used to score. Um, and they're going on the road. That nine's a big number for Xavier to lay right now. It just it doesn't feel right. I'm going to go X. I'll go X 72-65. So St. John's gets the backdoor cover with a late three. What did you three. just say? 72-65 Xavier. Did you go the same? 
Wow. On the Wow. Dot. Wow. Okay. 17-65. I, I had my score written down. You did? No, so you, got, you, know. you actually yeah, got it yeah, typed yeah. in. I'm writing it down with an ink pen on my sheet. Yeah, 72-65 on the dot. I'm not changing it either. St. <laughs> John's on the under for both of us on that one. That's pretty funny. We'll live or die together, I guess. Yes, indeed. All right, we will be back one week from today. Actually, we'll be back less than a week from today. We had to kind of move things around because of the holiday. Usually we drop this podcast on Wednesday, but obviously doing it on Thursday this week. Thanks to Rick Boring. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back again next week. It's been the Skinny Podcast. The Popery Edition.